Welcome to the Huntsback Country Podcast. This is episode number 411, and our guest is John Zombro from The Lifetime Athlete. We got John on the podcast to talk a bit about health, training, and longevity. I didn't know John that well. We kind of connected over email, and then I started looking at some of his resources that he has to share, and was very intrigued. Um, John is an older athlete. He's in his 50s, I believe, and just really has decades of experience personally, as well as a practitioner. And I was curious to talk with John as Steve and I are both kind of at the same age of our late 30s, and we're approaching the 40s and soon to come the 50s. It'll probably be here before we know it. And we want to keep hunting into our 50s and 60s and really just to be able to do things physically and enjoy the outdoors for as long as possible. And so we wanted to speak with John about some of those topics. We recorded this episode with John, and he, after the fact, heard me talk about some of the knee issues that I've been having a little bit, uh, and that that was really the primary driver, the reason that I couldn't do this year's death hike. And he reached out to me after hearing that podcast uh, and hearing me mention my knee issue and just kind of offered to hop on a call with me on a video chat and go over some things and movement and mobility and kind of help diagnose what may be going on. And again, this all took place after the conversation that uh, you'll hear with John today. But I'll just say that I was thoroughly impressed, not only hearing John on this podcast, but having a one-on-one consultation with him afterwards. Uh, John very clearly knows a lot, but he can also distill that information um, into helpful, practical tips that I have already personally benefited from. So I've actually been working a bit with John. I actually have another call with him today as uh, this podcast is released. So again, that's not a plug or a commercial other than to say beyond today's conversation, I have had a chance to benefit from John and really enjoy what he's up to. So I know you guys will take away a lot from this podcast, and then there are a bunch of great resources at John's website, which is thelifetimeathlete.com. There will be links to that in the show description. And speaking of links in the show description, you'll also find the link to exomountgear.com forward slash podcast. There you can enter the giveaway that we're doing this month of July of 2023 for the Outdoor Vitals Ventus hoodie. You can also find all previous episodes of the podcast. You can browse by keyword or topic or search as well. So be sure to check that out if you haven't already. Right now, let's dive into this conversation with John. All right. Well, John, welcome to the podcast. I am uh, excited to chat with you today and thanks for carving out the time to to join us. Yeah. Hi. Uh, I guess I should say good morning, uh, Mark and Steve, and thanks for having me on the podcast. And uh, I guess thanks for having this podcast. I've enjoyed listening to it for oh a number of years and learned a lot of things from you guys. So it's just fun to uh, get on and share and discuss. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So just to start for listeners, John, what's some background and context for who you are? Uh, yeah, I would say that 
if I if I describe myself professionally, I would say I'm you know I've been in human performance now for about forty years. You know, working as a performance coach and a physical therapist and health educator among other things. And uh, I'm a lifelong hunter. Got started uh, pretty early uh, doing all sorts of hunting and fishing, and uh, those passions have melded over time. Uh, to the extent where now uh, the bulk of the work that I do is in an online coaching capacity, you know, working with a lot of people who are really pursuing uh, longevity and performance and and lifelong pursuits, but uh, hunting being you know one of those primary ones. So you have a your website, kind of your your brand, for like a better term, is the Lifetime Athlete. I'm curious for you personally, what has that mint what has that looked like what is your you know decades of experience from an athletic perspective looked like yeah i think my personal experiences also mirror uh, you know those professional ones or the things that i've observed in that you know i want to and most of the people that i work with want to uh, be able to keep pursuing you know whatever our life passions are as long as possible and and i also kind of take what i sometimes call the athletic avenue into wellness you know my belief is that you know humans are uh, animals and we are you know, genetically wired to be active and mobile and healthy and athletic and so that's really the premise that i kind of come at this uh, work from i have so many different i don't even want to say question the more of like themes that i want to explore with you on this topic uh sure for our podcast, people who have been listening may have heard Steve and I mention in numerous instances over the years, we're both in our late thirties approaching 40. And we just, we've talked many times about how we want to be hunting and enjoying the backcountry and hiking and being physically able and capable and well for decades to come. Um, and you mentioned uh, in one of your emails as you and I were exchanging that you said, a lot of maturing outdoor lifestyle folks want to balance performance and longevity. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious in what ways do those things need to be balanced and in what ways are they, I don't want to say at odds with each other, but I guess where is that pendulum? How does it swing? What do we need to be aware of as we look to per to balance performance quote unquote in the now versus longevity for the potential decades to come? Yeah, I think probably the way to uh, answer that, Mark, is using what I might call a health first foundation. Uh, you know, it's really important when, you know, we, you'll hear various uh, authorities talking about this, this relationship between uh, health and peak performance. You know, can they exist uh, simultaneously? Are they at odds with each other from time to time? And they don't, they don't necessarily have to be, but what Oftentimes you'll see, especially in a highly motivated uh, younger athlete, or you certainly see it in professional sports because of, you know, all the things that are wrapped into that is, uh, you know, people may actually either willingly or inadvertently or unknowingly compromise health uh, in uh, the pursuit of performance. So what I'm talking about is, oh, you know, training that's got a little more beat down in it than it has recovery. And that does sort of work a bit better when we're younger. Um, you know, lifestyle practices, whether that's nutrition, sleep, you know, some of the basics, uh, I think we can get away with some of those things, 
uh, when we're younger with less consequence. But as we get older, in order to be able to support performance, we really have to have that optimized health situation first. And so that's that's kind of how I approach, you know, working with people, whether that's via just programming that I'm developing or in coaching relationships, is we talk about, well, we can really come up with some creative and fancy training programs and look at all these various metrics. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways to get to Rome, so to speak, or get in shape, but um, none of it's going to take very well or stick if we don't have mostly ideal health first. And so I kind of go, and you can stop me at any point here, but I go uh, with what I call the five, three, one system. And so I apply the five components of lifelong health, first, and you can put those in any order, but it's just really tuning up things like sleep, movement, food, ergonomics, and awareness. Can we, let's camp on some of those fives. Uh, what, uh, the one that stands out to me, because I'm not quite fully sure what you mean, is awareness. Yeah, yeah. And that's uh, right away, somebody's going to say, well, is that hippy dippy woo woo? And, <laughs> I, I, you know, I would say, well, <laughs> Not really, you know, so uh, as I look at awareness, um, you know, it's certainly self-knowledge, you know, do, how do you, you know, perceive or understand yourself, whether that's, you know, via personality preferences, tendencies, there are a lot of inventories that we can use to determine that, but you don't always need to be that official, just knowing yourself, um, uh, knowing others, you know, relationships, that sort of thing, our place in the world, uh, getting some of that to be harmonious is, uh, is very, very helpful. And so we're, you know, this leads into things like perspective and outlook and mindset, but uh, yeah, and and I I don't claim to be like the world's greatest expert on those things, but you know what I like to do with uh, with anyone, myself included, is say, well, let's just let's have um, some recognition of those things, and that can sometimes help to guide us. You know, when when you know yourself, and if I use personality as probably the easiest thing there, uh, you're you're gonna know probably the most obvious one, the whole extroversion versus introversion topic. You know, if you, if you know yourself, you know kind of what energizes you and makes you tick and drives you. And so for some people, that's going to be, you know, being in a group scene a lot and feeding off that and gaining energy from it. But for, for others who are perhaps more introverted, um, doing uh, limited amounts of that and having times for restoration, um, and reflection, you know, again, so that's maybe one example, but I don't know if I gave you uh, as much as you were looking for there. No, I think that's helpful. I mean, I, I can relate to that a bit personally, just realizing that for me, spending time outside by myself is energizing. And so I, as I've become more aware of that, I think even in the last really two years, to realize for me how important that is like for me to wake up and really early in the morning and go on a hike or run and just be alone and kind of at peace like yes it's the physical aspect and it's the training and a lot of times that's what i just thought it was but i've come to realize in the last two years that it's actually a lot more than that for me it's the it's kind of the mental sanity it's it's what energizes me it what it's what keeps me sane so that piece of awareness is something that uh I don't know that I've had at least on that specific example until fairly recently. So that actually makes a lot of sense to me now. Yeah. I, in fact, I would say it's all about having uh, a trite phrase here, but, you know, 
less fight and more flow. You know, we're just not, if we can find out uh, how we, you know, function best, uh, it's a great fit. And so I, I tell people, well, uh, uh, go with the flow. Only the salmon should swim upstream. <laughs> I think I can certainly relate to you, Mark, there. Like, even like doing those those solo hunts, I, I just, I don't particularly enjoy them, but there's something there going out and backpacking for two, three, four days, whatever, that uh, it's just, there's something there that I keep doing it, right? And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't particularly, I'm starting to look forward to them, but for years, I'd, I was like, oh man, okay, I don't got, I guess I'll go solo, you know, but then I'm doing it and I'm like, oh, there's, yeah, definitely something there on that mental side and energizing and just refreshing and certainly uh, plays a key role in your health. I'm fairly, fairly certain. Oh yeah, Steve. I like, I, same thing, you know, I'm probably, I've done a few uh, solo trips and um, it's usually not my first choice. But it turns into yeah. these like crazy vision quests where I'm having these conversations with myself. Or, you know, <laughs> it's, a, yeah. uh, it's a it's a deep experience for sure. Yeah, I definitely I come out of those with uh, I use Google Keep just for keeping track of tasks and to dos, and I come out of those with like a full list of things. Uh, you just get some clarity and like, oh, I need to do this, and I get ideas, and it's um, it's pretty remarkable what happens. Yeah, I've heard people say that you know it takes like I don't know, thirty six hours or some num you know number of hours or days before <clears throat> uh, everything is clear and all that happens. But uh, you know it's probably good to do uh, at least on some interval. One, this is like on the topic, but off the topic. My my wife and I were just talking the other day. We had basically have two friends, and they're they're older, and they're both like one sixty, one sixty one. If you looked at the two side by side, you would say one's 70 and one's 50, right? Mm-hmm. How much of genetics versus your lifestyle play in your aging process? Oh man, what a great topic there. And I, I don't know that I have all the answers, first of all, but yeah, I, I would say that's kind of what started to inspire me uh, earlier on, you know, 20, 30 years ago, I would have these people that I was working with, whether that was in a, you know, like a training or performance capacity or rehabilitative, and I started to see the ones who got the results, you know, the best results. And those were the ones who, you know, had this kind of, you know, health and lifestyle thing working pretty good for them. There is no perfect, but they definitely mm-hmm. were, um, you know, the just something was happening. So I just, I just wanted to learn. So I just started asking questions. So what do you do? You know, I mean, what, do you, what how do you sleep? You know, what do you eat? Uh, so forth, so on. And I, I think, there's, it's a general set. I mean, obviously, that's those some of the principles that I'd mentioned earlier uh, that come out. But if people are, you know, hitting on most of the cylinders, you know, most of the time is that like 83.4% of the time you're doing, you know, 81.6% of your stuff, maybe that's good enough. Um, it, it, that's that's kind of what I had noticed. And so, you know, you were talking about, well, the, the drivers, are they genetic or epigenetic, as in lifestyle? And I think... The power of lifestyle or epigenetic influences to upregulate uh, or downregulate uh, certain genetic t- uh, tendencies uh, has been now. We appreciate this much more. We've learned much more about it, you know, as a society in the last decade. And I, I, I would say that regardless of one's genetics, whether that pertains to, let's say, body type or sports skills. I mean, those are some obvious ones, but mm-hmm. also. 
um, you know, is someone quote unquote predisposed to have certain conditions uh, versus another person being less so? Um, I, I think this this lifestyle thing is really powerful, and it is it really goes to the level of hormones um, because they're the signal, signaling molecules, excuse me, hormones and neurotransmitters, and so these things we do in life will kind of like spark or spike. Um, the the ideal or close to balance or milieu in the body, whereas the person whose lifestyle is, let's say, not as optimal or suboptimal, uh, all of a sudden, yeah, they're actually going to have more trouble with potentially inflammation or mental health or or things like that, uh, which also affect, um, you know. Sp- uh, skin quality and uh, mm-hmm. uh, the clarity of the eyes, uh, uh, decision-making ability, all, all of those things are, are certainly interrelated. I know that the word was in there, epigenetics, and even mm-hmm. if people are familiar with that term, they could pick up on you connecting the dots in there. But yeah. I just want to back up for people who may not be aware of that term. What's a third grader definition of epigenetics? Yeah, kind of like upon the genome, and so it's it's essentially how does um, what you do every day um, coax your genetics? You know, you can do things that can um, uh, bring out more of one's genetic tendencies or or suppress them. You know, obviously the goal would be to bring out the desirable uh, traits and suppress the undesirable. And so, you know, like uh, like a positive epigenetic influence would be something that, um, you know, has a person, uh, you know, just feeling more happy or uh, building and preserving more muscle, you know, you can look at it in a physical way. And of course, a negative one would be uh, something that you're doing in your life, which is uh, just making it hard for your body to, you know, get rid of inflammation or, um, you know, just, uh, you know, to uh, even process uh, thought clearly. Hmm. So genes are, you know, the term around uh, DNA genes, genetics gets thrown up like, Hey, someone is predisposed towards X, Y, or the other thing. And you may have that gene that makes you more predisposed to that, which could be something good or bad. Mm -hmm. But with epigenetics, it's more of like, how can we influence to make that more or less dominant? That predisposition that may exist could be more or less dominant. Is that like a fair way to kind of think about epigenetics, kind of like influencing how dominant for good or bad our predispositions are? Yeah. And you can look at it very generally and say, yeah, you know, most of these things we think of as positive uh, habits or traits are, are probably going to be um, having good influences on our genetic makeup. And uh, then you also take it at a case by case basis, you know, like for some people, what, you know, whether they're talking about, well, are there genes? You know, we've probably all taken some of those uh, genetic uh tests, uh, you know, you learn some things about yourself. Oh, well, if you're of this ancestry, you know, you might be more likely or, you know, slightly more prone statistically to uh, be a type two diabetic potentially, or, you know, other things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think we can, we can definitely in general say, yeah, do some 
do some uh, basic good things. They're solid. And then when the more you know about yourself, again, maybe that's getting back to even that awareness thing, uh, the more you can kind of tweak your lifestyle to be more effective for you. And so uh, a lot of times I don't spend too much time on this when I'm working with clients because a lot of them already have it dialed in, especially, you know, when you get some more decades on and you're like, yeah, I kind of know myself, but, uh, but yeah, that's kind of like the big thing now. And now this is me bouncing around and you guys reel me in if you need to, but um, big thing I think about a lot lately is what what is called the parasympathetic baseline. So, you know, we have this autonomic nervous system. There's the uh, sympathetic side, which is usually considered fight or flight. And then we've got the parasympathetic side, which is sometimes called rest and digest or rest and repose. Well, we're wired ancestrally to just maintain a relatively low or calm parasympathetic baseline and then be able or uh, readily equipped to deal with the sympathetic spikes. And so the, you know, example I often use just in conversation is say, ah, oh, you know, you're, you're a, a hunter gatherer. You know, this is some, this is a hundred thousand years ago and you know, life is pretty chill. Everybody's hanging around the campfire, but the saber tooth rolls in. And so all of a sudden now that's the sympathetic spike and um, you know, hopefully everybody makes it to the tree. Uh, but you know, what, whatever happens, it, it's over, it's done. And everybody calms back down. And that's really the problem with modern life is we don't really have that low parasympathetic baseline. We Most people tend to have this chronic kind of mid-level where they're just sympathetically stimulated a lot of the time. And that's really <clears throat> causing uh, de deleterious effects. Yeah, man, I think there's a lot to explore there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, You know, and I apologize because I... Uh, I was looking forward to chatting with you guys. It's you know, it's not that early in the morning, but I definitely, uh, you know, I'm I'm coffeeed up <laughs> pretty heavily there. So uh, please forgive me. No, that's good. I yeah, I mean, we could do I think an entire podcast on that baseline. Uh, maybe we'll circle back to that. I, let's yeah, let's hang out on those five components of lifelong health for a little bit more. So again, for for listeners, just to back up, provide context, make sure we're not like lost you mentioned before you have this 531 system when you mm -hmm. said that and me looking at the notes because i do happen to have them i'm picturing a pyramid so you have five things on the bottom and these are what you call the five components of lifelong health mm -hmm. and then you go on top of that it's narrower it's three things and those are three elements of peak performance maybe we'll mm -hmm. get to that and then we could talk about the one thing at the top kind of the the pinnacle if you will but we're hanging out at the bottom these five components yeah. of lifelong health for now you said food, movement, sleep, ergonomics, and awareness, which we talked a bit about awareness. Mm -hmm. Another thing that sticks out to me is movement and ergonomics. Mm -hmm. There has to be some overlap there, I'm assuming, but like what what are the differences between those two? Oh yeah. And in fact, you're you're spot on because that that uh, pyramid uh <clears throat> graphic is one that I use sometimes. Oh, and it, I and I think where where obviously we, we might all be trying to get to with this is hey, you know, how do we briefly describe this model but really look at like what's the you know, how do we make the ability to hunt for a lifetime and be a lifetime hunter? So I I think we're driving that way. Uh yeah, well we talk about ergonomics and movement. Well, I would I would say I'll hit ergonomics first because this is one of those words. It's not sexy. And, you know, I, uh, it, it's really the, the realm of like physical therapists and occupational therapists. And, um, you know, I used to do some work in, um, 
workplace wellness and organizational consulting. And, you know, you'd get up in front of a group and you'd say ergonomics and immediately people start looking down or falling asleep because it's, you know, it, it just sounds boring, <laughs> but um, ergonomics is really just the study of the body at work. And what I take it into is it's, it's a little more than just like, how do you set up your workstation and what are your day-to-day -day work behaviors and how do they impact health? But it's also really your personal environment, you know? And, and so just talking very briefly about ergonomics, I would say, yeah, what we're really looking for there is we want to be productive in our hobbies as well as our jobs, but also we don't want those things to, you know, cause us to have like neck pain, back pain, uh, so maybe just be stationary for too long. And now we have like kind of like circulatory stasis or stagnation. So there's some, some tricks in there where, okay, if we set up a person's workstation and job habits and even like the feng shui of their environment, we can actually have a positive effect on um, recovery and uh, ab absorption of training. And so really we can get higher performance out of a person, you know, by basically making uh, this environment and job stuff a little better. So that's kind of where all that goes. And again, every one of these things, as you indicated, it's a pretty big rabbit hole, but um, with movement, the, how I look at this, the, the movement, the way I categorize it, it's very consistent with what's uh, currently looked at as the step counts or step count equivalents. And so we're talking about uh, activities of daily living, and, and I call it uh, general daily activity or GDA. And so that's really the, the stuff that you're doing when you're not training and officially dressed out. <clears throat> and so it's walking the dog, going to the mailbox, mopping the floor, fidgeting. So the, the literature is really big on talking about this thing called NEAT, excuse me, NEAT or N-E-A-T, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So basically the body, um, you know, is putting out uh, uh, effort or output at a low level and burning some calories with um, with that fidgeting, but also that, again, it just fits into, well, we, we want to be active every day throughout the day because that just keeps the metabolism idling along and occasionally we you know rev it up if we walk uh, take a walk to the water cooler at work or, or anything else and and whether that's there's some data to suggest that uh, probably ideal for most people is 10 to 15,000 steps or step equivalents per day that's quite a bit actually yeah, yeah, and yeah. and some of the work, like it's funny, the ten thousand steps thing. Actually, that that's been decades ago. It was just an arbitrary figure that a Japanese company came out with when they were uh, developing kind of one of the first pedometers, you know, that you'd wear on your belt, and it was you know, almost like click when you walked. Um, but but they weren't too far off. Some of the studies now that look at modern hunter gatherers, the remnant populations, it kind of shows that, yeah, it's uh, around there. It's usually in those, the roles that they have in those uh, societies, it's slightly higher for males, uh, slightly less high for females, but uh, that, you know, 10 to 1,000, uh, 10 to 15,000 steps is, if you think about uh, a mile is about 2,000 steps, depending on your stride length, um, you know, so 10,000, that's kind of adding up walking about five miles a day. And, and yet if we, if what, where people are astounded is I, I, I usually encourage them, uh, don't go for a five mile walk. Um, it, if we have a workout in there, so something else, you know, you're going to get some benefits there, 
But instead, break it up into these little, you know, 10-minute exposures and and pile those up throughout the day. And there's actually some data to suggest that that's actually healthier because, again, you're keeping the circulation moving and the metabolism uh, idling along. Uh, obviously, oxygenating the brain. So that's the, like you very brilliantly did there, Mark. You know, the ergonomics and movement do fit together quite well. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, that's kind of how how I, I look at those two elements. You know, let's get the um, job env- and environment uh, helping you, not hurting you, and then let's uh, let's move enough to uh, stay uh, where someone's not going to call us sedentary. I got this speaking to the ergonomics thing. I could, I think this probably ties in. I, I've got a really bad lower back. I've got two pars fractures and spondyl thesis. Um, but I finally, you know, for it, morning time was always the worst. And then probably four or five years ago, I finally went out and just bought a really expensive bed and just mm-hmm. sleeping on a, you know, it's not that it's an expensive bed, it's just that it's comfortable and it works well for me. But it had a dramatic impact on how I wake up in the morning. And knowing what I know now, I would, I'd pay $20,000 for that bed. I mean, it was mm-hmm. night and day difference. And I just something as you were talking about that struck me as like, okay, that's, you know, ergonomics, that's sleeping ergonomics. That's something I certainly did and had a huge impact on my life. Oh, absolutely. And like that increases the quality of your sleep. It's less tissue stress in the back. Uh, you know, like you said, morning, it, the, the whole, it's kind of cutesy these days, the morning routines of famous people, but you know, there are things that we can do in the morning, you know, to help that. And, um, kind of also related to ergonomics. I'm thinking about biomechanics and interaction with gear. And so like, if, mm-hmm. and, and this is like, you know, I would also say this, uh, you know, you're not paying me to say this, but if somebody says, uh, should I invest in a, an Exo Mountain Gear <laughs> backpack? Yeah, absolutely. You should, because it, I mean, it's, it's it's beyond it's below cheap as far as the value that a like a good pack like that's going to do just to not wreck you doing either you know ruck training mm-hmm. or doing your your hunts it's it's the same it's the same thing and so I agree um, you know uh, on that level that there are certain things we shouldn't compromise on and obviously betting is one of them. Um, you know, for being out in the field, backpacks and boots are pretty big on that. In fact, I got a story, um, <laughs> years ago, uh, now, so I'm 59. And so, um, this is a few years back that there was the guy in the basement of the gym, uh, in college where you'd go in and there was like a cage in there. He was behind the cage with the equipment and you'd hand him your student ID and he'd hand you like the basketball or whatever it is. You, you know, that's how this mm-hmm. worked. Guy's name was Frank. I never knew his last name, but uh, uh, Frank uh, said to me, like, you know, he was free to off- free and offering up his advice. He's like, man, listen, I got something for you. There's three things you should never compromise on life. The bed you sleep in, the shoes you put on your feet and the food you put in your body. And you know, he was right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's one thing, it, John. You what you mentioned about the packs, and again, this is far from a pack commercial. It's just a comment that Steve, I think you and I take for granted, like hmm. the amount of heavy hikes that we do, like in training and testing, and, and then in hunting, and not feel beat up afterwards. Like we probably completely take that for granted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never just, I just. It's been so long since I've like used, I guess, a really bad pack that I forget how sore I used to be and how wrecked I used to be from stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, I this, keep threatening to 
grab an yeah, older that... pack and hike with one and see what it feels like. Yeah. yeah. This comes up sometimes uh, for me. I, so I'm a big fan of, of like backpack training. I think it's pretty valuable for you know people who aren't hikers, backpackers and hunters. Uh, it's a great way to, you know, get some training in can be relatively low impact, yada, yada. Um, but then these people are, you know, they're, they're like, say, Oh, I'm fine. I've got this little day pack. And it, it's like the, what their daughter, you know, wore to kindergarten to put like the lunchbox and the books. in. I'm like, man, that's, that's not the way to roll here. <laughs> Again, this is a total detour from where we were, but <laughs> let's go with it. John, you just mentioned you were 59. Um, mm-hmm. Steve, you just turned 39 recently. I'm getting ready to turn 39. So let's say, John, you're exactly 20 years ahead of where Steve and I are in age. Mm-hmm. Super open-ended. But you looking back 20 years ago to you at 39, thinking of Steve and I, you, you kind of know who we are a little bit, what we do. Mm-hmm. Just wide open. What advice do you have for us for the next 20 years in terms of being a, a lifelong athlete hunter? Wow. That's a good one. Uh, you're making me think. Um, and also, <laughs> I know it's hey, so, so open-ended. I'm just curious, like the, what what comes to mind? It, it, you can't obviously give a comprehensive answer, of course, but yeah, I, I think I can say uh, two things that just that just popped into my mind. I'm sure they're not the only two things, but it would be like specificity and recovery. So if we think about specificity of training, it's just one of those principles that we you know we have. Um, I would say, you know, to make sure that through the year you're doing some, doesn't have to be a ton, but some amount of uh, training and play, you know, an activity that's specific to your, whatever your primary goal is. And so let's just say it's backcountry hunting. Um, yeah. So what that might be is hike you know it's it's not it's really not that that complicated you know so you know, why don't you hike uh once or twice a week and wear you know a, a moderate pack that's going to do most of it in fact that's you know so true like there's a just most of the programs that are out there are just quite good you know nobody invented movement and so there's you know for hunting if you said that you know if mainly if you do some pack training maybe you throw in a little bit of resistance and mobility work it's going to get most of it some people play a sport they play hockey or soccer something like that there's a way to work all that in but yeah i would say specificity just you know do the keep the body familiar with the thing that that you want to do and so then you never have to like um, you know, deal with getting back into that kind of shape. And there's been a lot of famous people who have said, well, the best way to stay in shape is never get out of shape. But that's that's very true in, on the specificity level. You know, just stay familiar, uh, you know, hiking, you know, when we put on, if usually it's boots and steep train off trail. Uh, that's a, just a totally different thing than walking around the neighborhood, especially with a pack. And so, yeah, I'd say that specificity. And then this recovery thing, I think this is, you know, well known and relatively well appreciated that um, there's something about the gaining of maturation and wisdom, or in other words, piling on years and decades that uh, it gets a little harder for us to recover between, you know, big efforts and and training. Like sometimes I'll call that a fitness maker workout, but you know, whatever it is, it could be a hunting trip or anything else. Um, Though, those things that help our bodies to recover become more important. So full circle on some parts of our conversation already, but yeah, 
if a person is eating reasonably well and getting some good sleep and then also being real smart about how they space out uh, challenging sessions. Sometimes as we get older, we need another day or two between them and you can actually get more benefits, you know, better performance, better health by having those backfill or filler sessions where it's like, okay, yeah, I did the one or two times a week where it was a big thing. And then the rest of it's kind of easy stuff. Some of it could be general, you know, I'm just going to do some uh, lighter gym work or cycling or walking or whatever it is that a person's uh, uh, oriented towards. I think that's the key. And so then, you know, you, you've got the specific training and, you, and you're making sure that your body's recovering. Uh, and then the, the brilliant human beast, you know, the inner beast inside of us just kind of stays uh, uh, viable. What, are, what thoughts do you have from that, Steve? I'm curious. Yeah, I think like me personally, like probably the recovery aspect is something that I don't do well. I just keep pushing. Uh, like right now, death hikes coming up in 10 days and I'm freaking getting after it every single day. I was like, okay, maybe there's more benefit to to sit back and rest and recover a little bit more. Because uh, I certainly seem to have plateaued in like the speeds that I'm, you know, able to achieve um, hiking. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So you make me think of something else, you know, like that, like it's seasonality, or in other words, you know, you have times of the year when you know certain things go up or down. Um, and so that's fine. You know, I think, yeah, you're, you're getting ready for a big thing and there's a push on and, and, you know, your body, uh, will, uh, will tolerate that or maybe thrive in it, you know, so that's, that's okay to do. Uh, and the other art form, you know, when we start adding in all these like fancy principles, you know, treating hunters like athletes, it's like, well, there's this concept of, um, tapering and peaking and so this really simply you know as you get close to that event you know you taper down let your body kind of catch up and recover and that brings you to like a peak of readiness where you know you can just go out there and kill it and i I bet you're already doing that but that's kind of i think also uh, something that fits into this mixology one of the fields that interests me most is is nutrition because there's just certain days i feel like crap and other days i feel good and i i haven't dove into it enough to understand like is it because what I ate over the previous couple of days, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super, uh, super interesting to me. I just haven't, I guess not interesting enough for me to like fully dive into it, but <laughs> something that, I, that I've that i been thinking about a lot the last few years, like if, you know, if I just went, uh, would I perform better if, you know, I, I probably grade myself as like a B in nutrition, you know, I mm-hmm. certainly drink alcohol and have sugar and, uh, but I'm also like, don't ever eat McDonald's or something like that. Right. So not terrible, but not just a pure health nut. And I'd be, cu- I'm curious how my performance would change if I did go to just full on, you know, eating exceptionally clean. Well, those are fun experiments. I think you teed that up pretty well. Cause you know, I, I, I know Mark is, uh, he's, you know, guiding this conversation, you know, to hit those elements and move on. So f- food is yeah. up. Right. And so mm-hmm. I, Man, I tell you, I mean, we're all we're all exposed to the same information and uh, some of it's contradictory. It keeps evolving about, you know, what is the ideal human diet, uh, you know, nutrigenomics or in other words, how do genetics impact that? And then also, like, you know, what do you need to fuel yourself for, you know, what you're doing? Ah, uh, it 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 almost frustrates me sometimes uh, to hear uh, experts being overly confident in their presentation mm. 
and then actually turning out to be wrong and and not owning that that there's there's been a lot of that through history especially things that have come from the government about what we should eat or not eat uh and it's it biz, big business is wrapped into this big ag it's pretty crazy but i would say this if you if you like the way i think or try to do as i say we want to look at all that information but we got to boil it down into something a little simpler so i call it the um, earth-based diet and it's kind of it's kind of simple in that you know if you eat things mostly that look like they came from planet earth and not outer space so you know they're not with some exceptions like you know obviously when we're on trips you know we're going to use some processed food and that's fine but you know for most of the time if we're eating these you know whole fresh natural local seasonal products okay that's level one and then the next one would be um do we pick from that the things that we either like or work best for us? You know, some people, they, they have like sensitivity to gluten or nightshade mm-hmm. plants, which have waxy skins. And it's a different thing. So we know like, well, you want to pick from the good foods, eliminate the ones that might bother you. It could be dairy. You know, I don't know. I think the actual statistic is about 60% of the worldwide population will have a sensitivity either to uh, the casein proteins um, or or lactose that are in dairy products. Well, okay, ways to deal with that. <clears throat> but ultimately, then you go to maybe the the don'ts or at least don't do too often. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. Uh, you know, I, I think the the literature these days is really driving the the seed oil thing. So those they're the industrial seed oils, sometimes called vegetable oils. And it's a long list of them, but maybe a few off the top of my head would be corn, canola, cottonseed, soybean, sunflower, safflower oil. The, those oils are, um, there's a, it's a really fascinating history behind that because originally um, they became, they were like industrial byproducts that <laughs> we wanted to find out what, to, how to use, how to make money. So, you know, when they made, when they invented the cotton gin, they started to get this cotton seed oil. And for a while it got used as a lubricant for heavy machinery and manufacturing. But then somebody figured out, oh, well, you know, if you, you kind of press this stuff under uh, high pressure and high heat and bleach it and do some other things to it, you can make a fad. And then a big marketing uh, campaign came out and said, hey, let's, uh, let's try to convince humans that this is better than natural fats like butter and lard and tallow. Uh, and, and it was pretty <laughs> successful. Unfortunately, you know, now we know that these, those oils, you know, they're prone to rancidity and hydrogenation and overly high in omega-6 fatty acids and all these things seem to be driving um, metabolic dysregulation and inflammation in people. And and unfortunately, like a lot of restaurant food and most processed food, really high in that stuff. So I I wonder, Mm -hmm. because here's the thing, you know, the healthy, durable human who's doing most of these things we've been talking about probably can get away with some, you know, and Mm -hmm. somebody's going to ding me for saying that, you know, it's like, oh, you know, you should be a saint and live this uh, life of purity. Well, that's just not sustainable for me or I think for most people, but if most of the time we're, you know, doing pretty well and then, you know, just kind of know, uh, it's obvious, you know, it's, we kind of know it's like, well, you know, if you have to eat, if it's a if it's a survival situation and you have to eat some fast food or junk food or you just doggone want it well okay let's say that was um it was it's, let's say you eat three meals a day and that was only one meal out of a week so you know that's one out of 21 i don't know that's like 96.5% or something so 96.5% of the time you're doing really well and you have one digression 
that's a, probably a different picture than the person that's doing, you know, 80% of the time uh, consuming, mm. you know, less desirable foods. But yeah, like, so you're talking about how do you, your performance, like, well, uh, you know, we want the healthy stuff. Yeah. But then you have to think about, uh, you know, adequate fueling as far as timing of nutrients, uh, you know, like either before or during training sometimes, or certainly afterwards, there's, you know, some data to support, uh, glycogen replenishment is enhanced if you you know consume you know primarily carbohydrates post exercise if at least if it was a big training session and then you've got the whole protein thing really we're gaining a huge appreciation that, you know we should all be eating you know up to about one gram of protein per pound I've call it pound of target lean body mass so in other words it's pretty much pound um, a gram of protein per pound of body weight for a person who's you know pretty lean and fit, but for some of us who just want to trim a little bit of our body comp down, um, you know, you just kind of subtract out what the fat weight would be. But but mm. yeah, I, I I like those things. And then you know the the other big argument that you see is like, oh, you know, is it uh, uh, higher carb versus low carb or even ketogenic? And you know, there's a place for everything. It just depends. Mm -hmm. it, it depends. Is a, a very fair um contextual statement because again there's the genetics there's the training patterns uh there's even like you know just palate preferences some people are going to succeed more one way and some are going to uh do so another so that's kind of the thing too i you know we're filled with all this dogma and doctrine but i'll help i try to help people you know figure out like the diet that's going to work best for them to get results but also to be sustainable that, that protein thing is something that I stumbled on. I was listening to a podcast like a month ago and actually talked with Mark about this. And, and he basically, the guy said the same thing. Like I, I was, uh, you know, one, that one gram of per lean body weight, body mass. And, uh, and I was like, God, I wonder what I eat, you know? And then I, I added it up and I, I wasn't even coming close. I'm like, you know, 60 grams of protein a day, maybe. Uh, and that's, and that's eating, you know, a tuna sandwich at lunch and steak or fish for dinner every night. But I, I wasn't even remotely close to hitting that one gram per goal weight. Like it's, mm -hmm. you certainly have to go out of your way to achieve that. Uh, yeah. At least, it's all, you know, it's almost yeah, a job. My, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's yeah, like you, I have to be very conscientious of, of making sure that it's in every single meal and snacks. And um, it was certainly surprising to me. Oh, although it's, it's, everything seems like it's wrapping back. And so you're, you're, you're right. You're right on all these points, Steve. Like, yeah, you know, most of us aren't eating enough. And when you do start to try to do that, it becomes a bit of a chore. You have to really be conscientious. But that comes back to that longevity thing that you guys were talking about. It's like, well, one of the things we we know definitively, and these, this is from randomized controlled trials on you know humans, so it's like not just like uh, uh, survey data or animal studies, but what we know that if you're getting this optimal protein intake, it's going to help you to recover better. Uh, you're going to preserve or build your muscle and lean body mass, uh, which is critical with aging because one of the big markers of aging is this thing called uh, sarcopenia, or in other words, loss of muscle uh, muscle mass. And it really relates to a rapid decline in function and, you know, meeting up with the reaper uh, pretty quickly, uh, you know, once it's progressed. And so uh, in trying to be, uh, a lifetime anything but a hunter uh you know we we need uh uh that muscle 
you don't need to be necessarily like a professional bodybuilder, but you, you got to keep that muscle. And so certainly the training creates a stimulus, but those building blocks of protein are uh, absolutely essential. This is stepping outside of the five, three, one. So again, <laughs> I know we're bouncing all over the place. Yeah. You're not doing a very good job here, Mark. <laughs> I know. I just, there's too much to talk about, man. There's too much I know, to talk yeah. about. And I will say I I'm going to put this, uh, the five, three, one, and those sub bullet points. So each of the five bullet points and the three in the show notes. So people can reference that, especially even during the conversation. But so one thing that stood out to me, uh, John, that I wanted to uh, ask you about, I was just looking at your website, just browsing, and there's a ton of good information, helpful content there. Thank you. But I was scanning stuff and this stood out to me. So you wrote, um, you use your principles to help every backcountry hunter become a movement smith. And that word stuck out, a movement smith. And then you want you went on to say, someone who owns every position and who has a mastery of motion in every direction. That stood out to me for several reasons. One is I just wanted to hear more about it. But one of the other things I tie that to personally is you talked about owning every position and mastery of motion in every direction. And that's something that I've seen as a, a weakness of mine in the past and somewhat now. And I think can be a weakness of a lot of training is it's too, it's too linear. Um, it's too single range of motion. Everything is too forward. For example, there's not enough lateral or reverse or um, single sided work, things like that. So I know I led you a bit in my thought, but what do you mean by movement Smith and elaborate on owning every position and mastery of motion in every direction? Oh yeah. Well, actually, I, I feel like we're we're if we're trying to stay on path, we actually are because we hit all those five, uh, you know, components of lifelong health, and now Great. we're on to um, the three essential elements of peak performance. Training being the one that you know you're talking about there, and then movement, Smith. I mean, you can tell now, you know, getting to hang out together a little bit. I, uh, I mean, I put a lot of thought into this, but I come up with some things, right? Some of these terms, and so a lot of this is just based on my observations of working with maybe thousands of people or not maybe, but definitely uh, over these 40 years. And one of the things that we, we need to have is that uh, ability to use our bodies and again, you know, all you know, directions and positions and such. And so that's kind of where this movement Smith thing came out. And it's something that, you know, everyone, you know, probably deserves to have uh, this. So when I look at training, and I, I think I can bring this around pretty quickly, um, there are five um, groups or capacities of athleticism or human performance. And these are well-known, but they're strength, speed, power, agility, and endurance. And so if I just pull out that agility a little bit and say, well, you know, agility, it's kind of an interesting word because it certainly combines mobility, um, you know, which is our ability to access our flexibility. And um, we have to have stability mixed in there when we're moving, you know, be stable at one point to be mobile at another, you know, all that. Uh, we want to be reactive, you know, to the environment. You know, if a rock's coming up, you don't want to trip, or if you're playing in a sport, you have an opponent or something like this. And and then we want to be fluid, you know, supple, so that the onlooker, when they see us moving, says, ah, as opposed to you know, whatever. <laughs> so, um, 
so the, this is where I kind of came up with this movement Smith idea is like, well, one of the problems in, in fitness, not so much in sports, especially like, you know, in sports, um, you know, at the higher levels and earlier in life, you know, people are really, uh, agility is a big part of most sports. And so you're, that's being addressed. But once we kind of get out on our own, it, it's what I call slow fitness, uh, and and you also you know described it you know straight line fitness it's the same similar thing so what we do we we walk or run or bike in a straight line or it's a lot of people do and then maybe you know maybe you lift a little you know do a little resistance training most of that is in the sagittal plane you know it's kind of st- squared up and you know pushing forward backward up down all that and then uh, um, yeah maybe we'll stretch a little you know some people do a little yoga so that that that's all that what that does mostly is um, it's good stuff. It creates a great foundation or baseline. Most of our training probably could be that, but it, it doesn't address, um, you know, to be able to move like a predator, you know, like a cat. And then, you know, that's a little bit of an analogous thing here, like a hunter maybe. So then I looked at um, over time, I was like, okay, well, I, yeah, John, you've got these principles and you know, they're all working, but how do you evolve your model further? And, uh, you know, I came up with w- what I will call an athletic capacity rating system. And so um, I, I, I use different uh, test measures and metrices and, you know, to analyze a sport and then score it, its demands or requirements on those five elements. And I try to put them in the order of strength, speed, power, agility, and endurance. Not that they're prioritized, it just makes it easier for me to be consistent. And then I can I can rank the demand on a one, two, three level, you know, basic, simple stuff, you know, but one is a baseline, two is moderate, and three is maximum or high. And so uh, we can look at a sport and we can say, okay, well, this sport actually, you know, like you know, when you're watching football and you got a stopwatch and you're watching a play and you see what's going on, there are ways to do this. Uh, well, it requires this. Now, obviously, in football, it's going to be very position dependent, but um I can also do the same thing with a person. So we can look at, you know, here's your set of genetic gifts and traits and abilities. And um, we can do these uh, various assessment tools and say, okay, well, you know, you're scoring a a, a three in your whatever, uh, but uh, yeah, you're a one here. Now that's actually fine because that fits with what your sports demands or your goal is, uh, or it's not. And so okay, then we can adjust. So finally, come all the way back to this, you know, kind of like concept, concept of being a movement smith. Most of that is in agility. Um I I feel like that's something that we're losing in that the uh, like the medical community is not talking about. You know, you got the guidelines for physical activity for Americans, and you listen to that and or you know read it, look at it. Uh, it's like yeah, okay, everybody should do 150 minutes of you know uh, aerobic activity, and there's a list you can look it up. At, you know, some government website, but uh, they're they're not really saying hey, we need to just maintain this ability. And then all of a sudden, you know, when we get we you know anyone gets older. You know, can't play with your grandkids, can't get up and down off the floor. You know, this whole industry is about, oh, fall risk, fall prevention. Um, well, how about just be able to roll out of it and not crash when you fall? I mean, it seems obvious to me. But so I look at hunters and say, well, you know, um, you don't have to be a Cirque du Soleil athlete to be a hunter. I mean, in the backcountry, no. But um, actually, you, there's a there's a lot of uh, agility 
there's a moderate amount of agility demand. So hunters get a score of two in that because, you know, you go out there, you got to cross streams, uh, climb over deadfall, all those positions you're using when camping or processing animals. It's actually um, if, you know, relatively comprehensive. And so, uh, you know, hunters need to be uh, fairly good movement smiths or they benefit from being that, I could, I should say. And again, it's kind of the same thing. When you're young, it's sort of in there naturally, inherently, and it doesn't start to trickle away till the man starts taking it because he's making you sit at your desk for 30 years and locking you up. But it, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, that's helpful. It's it. I think that is one of the most important things from longevity in this and i would say injury prevention right if i had to i have no data no science but if i had to guess a lot of hunters get injured or have issues because of like a lack of agility or a lack of strength in odd positions right so as Mm -hmm. you said Mm -hmm. going over deadfall crossing a creek especially doing that when loaded like it's when a position is compromised or you don't have strength in a certain position that you then either fall or just are moving in a pattern that you're not used to and then have some sort of tear, for example. Um, mm-hmm. So I just think, it, it, again, it's it's really important, I think, for hunters, especially, again, if you start getting off trail and having a loaded pack in particular, it's it's critical. Yes. And the beauty of that is that it's, it's relatively easy and fun, you know, just to put some of these things into training and it doesn't require a lot, you know, the, obviously the bulk of what we kind of alluded to earlier is like, yeah, you know, just, you need to be doing uh, hiking and backpack training primarily, and then maybe a few other things, but then a, a small amount of kind of a mobility flow series and a warm up or a few um, agility drills and just making exercises sometimes more, um, triplanar, uh, as opposed to just in single plane, straight line stuff, use asymmetric positions and wind and rotate the body the way it's designed to actually move. What's the, just a couple examples of low hanging fruit there, like changing from, Hey, just instead of doing a traditional squat, whether it's with a barbell or something or what have you, like what's a, something that is going to be strengthening but in a different movement pattern or different plane of motion and that's just one example don't feel like you have to stick to a squat Um, but just a couple ideas just to get people thinking oh yeah and to be fair i i like and use almost like every exercise because you know you get into trouble using terms like always and never, you know, as in always do this, never do that. Uh, it's probably good advice not to uh, uh, speak with your spouse using those words, <laughs> but, uh, 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 but so, yeah, th- so there's a place for every type of training, but like, if we want to modify, like just target an exercise here and there throughout the year, we can mix it up. Uh, that, this is a, this is a great point. So you can take that squat and you can say, well, okay, I had been doing um, some back squats. You know, that's a, classic way to really develop a lot of full body strength and put load into the body. But now I'm going to, you know, sort of transition into um, something that's slightly more sports specific or athletic. Well, maybe you, you load it differently. So you might use a kettlebell in front or kettlebell held in a rack position at the shoulder. It could be two of them, but that's another thing that we often get caught up in is as that we start thinking everything has to be symmetrical so uh instead of putting like one 40 pound kettlebell 
in one arm people say oh i want to put two in you know both arms um place for everything but by by creating that asymmetric or offset loading you know you change some of your dynamic core stability function and other things and now let's stagger the stance slightly just make the stance asymmetrical um there are you know camps out there that would say oh well you know it might be that a lot of humans uh, are biased to load the right side and there's some you know i don't want to go into that one right now but um yeah we'll mix it up uh we'll use maybe kind of almost like a partial lunge stance or something so now you're squatting um going up and down but the load is a little different then you say well uh what if i put a little corkscrew or a little barber pole into my motion so now as i go down i'm winding a little bit backwards and then as i come up i'm gonna you know you know rotate uh, a bit in the uh, opposing direction yeah, doing things like that again you don't have to do it in every exerciser all the time, but uh, I like that. Um, I also like if we're just talking about how to modify traditional exercises, just changing up the position from time to time. So like most of the time, if somebody's going to do, let's say some type of overhead press, they're either going to be standing or sitting, you know, but what if we do it uh, off of uh, uh, a half kneeling or tall kneeling position? So half kneeling is, you know, uh, you're down on one knee, the other foot's forward, tall kneeling, you're standing on both knees, you're loading on both these uh, on padding, of course. Uh, yeah, it's just things like that where we just change up. In fact, a lot of that getting down on the ground business and exercising, you know, you think about like if, if you've got an up, down, and, you know, even if you're really good Benny Hanna with your knives, um, you're going to be there for a little bit and you're going to be crouching and stooping and, you know, changing up some positions. And a lot of times they decide to uh, make their final rest in not a flat spot, you know, and, you know, you're dealing with all that. Uh, so yeah, I think there's a real key to just, you know, training a little bit, doing, uh, these positional or directional changes. That's, that's one part of it. And then real quickly, I would just say, yeah, I, I, I like, I like putting some simple stuff in that almost looks like NFL combine work, you know, it's, you know, five, 10, five drills and skater bounds and different kinds of things. We can do them at very low velocities, walking speeds, keep it safe for most people, but there's still a benefit to to doing that. And then all of a sudden, the stuff that comes at you when you're out there isn't a surprise. And you're able to you negotiate smoothly to start with, or if you do lose it a little bit, you can usually write yourself and it, at last resort, roll out of it more effectively than someone who doesn't do any of this training. It's a catastrophic crash. And, you know, usually there's a you know, something negative involved in that. So speaking of varied movement, I feel like that's how we've covered the five three one. We've been all yeah. over the place and changing directions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, ha- we we have hit all of the five components of lifelong health in one way or another. Again, that's yeah. food, movement, sleep, ergonomics, awareness. Uh, the three elements of peak performance. We've talked a bit about training and a bit about recovery. We probably haven't touched as much on mindset, which is the number three the, of the three essential elements. So when I hear mindset, you know, you can take that in many different directions. We've talked about mindset and like quote unquote mental toughness a lot on the podcast, but specifically, how does mindset play a role in the three essential elements of peak performance? Yeah, it's it's probably a mix of a mindset that's determined uh, balance with one that's, that's flexible. And so you, you could think of all these different terms that are available. You know, we have, um, 
the concepts of it's a positive mindset. Uh, it's uh, realistic. You know, some that comes in with goal setting, different kinds of things. Um, you know, and people like to talk a lot about uh, mental toughness, and and certainly that has you know a, a place has value. Uh, I kind of take it down to this thing where we we need where the flexible comes in is we got to be dynamic because you know I'm not the same guy at 59 that I was at 19 and so what um what worked then is not going to work as well for me now but there there are ways to you know keep making these adjustments and sometimes there's compromise or acceptance that has to go with that but uh, also a lot of times it's just like no we're just you know figuring out what's the best solution to the current problem uh, so so I think that's the the thinking there is important and then you think about you know Mental toughness can be trained a lot of ways, and there's a lot of, again, you know, a lot of things, a lot of ways out there, a lot of people, you know, like, you know, like the Jocko or the David Goggins approaches to things. It's like, man, you just, you, you kill it until you can't kill it anymore, but then you just keep killing it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, to me, that uh, in a longevity model, that's going to, that's a, that's not the best long-term proposition because of stress and inflammation and breakdown and, you know, immune function and all those things. So um, how I approach mental toughness is more like, you know what, a lot of mental toughness is just um, not having doubts and um, being consistent. And so you can get a lot of that through these daily habits, you know, James Clear's book, Atomic Habits almost, you know, references that, but you know, what we're doing is if you have done well, these death hikes, uh, which are you know fantastic. Uh, well, you you train for it, you build up to it, you do it. You know you can do it. You know you're gonna do it. And I think that's where where you know we just get away from you know the bailing out mentality. Uh, I, I, I like I like to borrow from well, I guess a lot of places, but sports uh, quite a bit. And uh, you know you, you you think about many of the greats, but Michael Jordan comes to mind. Um, it's uh, <laughs> I, I I mean, it's, I got a funny story here because it's like, I can't parallel myself to Michael Jordan in any way, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but like, you know, he, he would say that, um, he, he hated to lose. And then, you know, a lot of the psychology research would say it's, this is more than the will to win. It's the refusal to lose. And, you know, you, you just, you can get into that habit. You actually can get into that habit without putting yourself through great suffrage. You know, you just do it through repetition, but I was out, oh, I don't know, time flies, but it's 15, 20 years ago. And, you know, out on a, and this was an archery elk hunt. And I was uh, with a fella, um, good fella, but uh, <laughs> not a guy that I'm hunting with anymore. I'll just put that out there. And, uh, uh, there was, uh, you know, there was a, a, a bull, a bugling bull moving with the herd, you know, over terrain. And, uh, we were getting towards that part in the day where I just, I, I wanted to go, you know, and I wanted to go and, and this guy was a good athlete. And so he was physically capable of going, but he just, he was starting to, you know, give out. Uh, on himself and on me a little bit. And, you know, we, it wasn't a great moment of tension, but uh, um, he, uh, uh, 
he kind of was mocking me as we were having this conversation and he was, you know, pretending to be me and going after this elk. And he said, I will win. And I said, no, I won't lose. And I didn't. And I, and I shot that bull and, uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) and that, you know, that relationship, uh, uh, you know, wasn't ever quite the same, unfortunately, but you know, you got to move on. (laughs) Yeah. What a great, like, just even not to quote unquote prove anything, but for your own self to to have that mindset and then to actually go get it done. Well done. Well, thanks. And, but you know, the thing is, it's like the that's where this whole mindset comes in because you you just you remove it, uh, through again consistent habits and and practice and thinking. You know, you just remove all the negativity. And sure, everybody's going to have low points. Nobody's perfect, and you know, and all that. And I've had certainly some times when when i might have been the other guy but you know uh, somebody brought me up but um um yeah it's 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 really interesting because well that was i think it was steve jobs who was always talking about why he wore the mock um mock turtlenecks was is because that reduces decision making fatigue and so yeah i put the same thing on every day i don't have to think about it i can put more energy into developing and innovating and all of that stuff well i think it's the same it's the same thing in in what we do it's like yeah you know you you know you do your your stuff and you go out there and you just um uh, you know take your energy and put it where it needs to go. In fact, that's, you know, almost like a rehab philosophy that I learned a long time ago is trying to help people not inject emotion into a pain experience. It doesn't help. It just magnifies the problem. And so, you know, sometimes we have to be compassionate about getting there, but uh, yeah, it's a, a, it's very similar. We've talked about five components of lifelong health, three essentials of peak performance. What is the pinnacle? What is the one thing in your five, three, one system? Yeah, well, this is it's it's very elevator pitchy because that's <laughs> you know what I mean. That's just how this model works. So you put, you apply the five components to the three essential elements, and then you become the one uh, athlete for life that you deserve to be, and that you, for which your genes are programmed. And so that's you know kind of how we arrive at this goal that each person has. Each each person has say um, uh, like a unique goal, but I I. I use, I, you can tell I use a lot of these terms that have just occurred to me over time, but die late, die healthy, die fast. And so what I mean by <laughs> that is um, we now have this term in the literature called health span. And so basically that's the portion of your lifespan that you are, you know, relatively or optimally healthy. And, and so by uh, dying late, you're living for a long time, dying healthy, I mean, right until, you know, the very end, and then die fast, you go quickly, as opposed to being, you know, propped up for a decade or more with medications, procedures, and institutionalization. Nobody deserves that kind of life. And obviously, we can't, these, these things that that we're talking about, that's not going to do everything, nor is it going to, you know, solve a problem for every person, but it certainly can be a part of all of this. And so, um that's sort of my, I guess, ethos in, and I, you know, I talk about being hard to kill, you know, and so that's, uh, you know, on the playing field and in the game of life. But when we do all these things, our bodies are just more tolerant and resistant. And we're not even talking about just the physical, you know, we're talking about all the, you know, emotional, cognitive, uh, the whole being is just more productive. Uh, you get more enjoyment out of it. You can contribute more as well as accomplish. And so that's, 
uh, you know, it, it, these are these mission statements, I think, that that I've, uh, you know, come to revolve around. But I I really, I really love that. Like if someone is is 30 and they've got a, I got a guy who's he's training for a mountain caribou hunt in Northwest Territories. Uh, and, you know, that's okay, man, that's really cool. And we're going to get you to the point where you can do everything you want and you're not going to be diminished by your capacities uh, in any way. But at the very same time, I got a lot of people, uh, you know, around my age and, and a bit older who are like, um, uh, I, I want a few more years of this and I want to be able to enjoy it and leave a legacy of memories with my family. And, uh, and, and, and that's so uh, rewarding to, to be involved uh, in that with folks. I want to like, listen back to this podcast, make some notes, and then we'll get you back on here for a round two and do some more diving into some of these topics. Yeah. It's just be great. so many rabbit holes to go down. And I've really enjoyed this conversation. Oh, well, yeah, me too. Thank you, guys. Uh, I, I mean, you can tell I'm very passionate about talking about these things because it's um, it's just uh, it's a great I think it's a great topic that appeals to all of us. You know, how can we just do more of what we want to do, you know, make sure we're doing it relatively right. And uh, I would love to, you know, uh, engage on on more of uh, of these things over time as it's appropriate. Yeah. Well, John, I'll leave links to your website and uh, other places where people can find you and get more information in the show description, but also just go ahead and leave us a recap uh, of your website and how maybe folks can get in contact with you directly if they want to learn more. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Mark. Um, it's it's pretty easy. The website is thelifetimeathlete.com and there's some, you know, it's, it's getting fairly resource rich now over the years and uh, you can find uh, you, know, you know a lot of information about these topics and what I do you know I offer up uh, uh, coaching services online which help people to do one of three things you know get out of pain solve a chronic injury problem get healthy get lean that thing and then mainly you know to crush performance goals um, and I do that in a couple different ways uh, I have, uh, I have something specific for hunters and I've, it's, it's a program that I've been running now for about 20 years, but it's, it just keeps evolving. You know, it started out, uh, years and years ago, uh, just based out of my clinic and, uh, it was, lo it was local only and it was called fit for the field and it's a hunter conditioning program. And, you know, that's evolved into something that I think now is, a, it's really something I'm proud of. It's, uh, the, uh, online, uh, course, and so that's available. You can look at that if you have any interest in it at all. And uh, I also do a a nationwide training group. It's called the Training Tribe, and it's it's based on an annual training plan that balances a lot of those things we were talking about. So people get you know basically the programming for every day, and it has. Uh, uh, you know, text table video, we do weekly Zoom meetings, we have a forum, they get email coaching support, and so forth, so on. So, so that's kind of where the stuff that's going on at the website. But you can find me also on Instagram, YouTube, and the podcast, and they're all the same. It's the Lifetime Athlete. And uh, <laughs> thanks for uh, the opportunity to share that, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for the time today. Really enjoyed the conversation. And yeah, I see a uh, a part two to come in the future. So listeners as well, if you have any questions uh, that maybe you want us to cover in a future podcast with John, um, send those to us uh, via email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. John, thanks again. 
Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you. Well, there you have it, guys. I hope that uh, wherever you are at in your stage of life, that uh, you live your life in a way that allows you to keep hunting and experiencing the outdoors and using your body to achieve the things that you want to achieve. I think that uh, some of the topics we discussed in today's podcast will certainly help you do that. And if you do have anything else, I would just recommend reaching out to John and see if there's something that he can help you with. Because as I mentioned in the podcast intro, he's personally been helping me and I've certainly benefited from it already. So thank you guys for tuning in. There's links in the show description to the resources that John mentioned, links to all previous podcast episodes, links to the giveaway that we're doing this month and more. If you haven't done so already, be sure to hit follow, or subscribe in your podcast app so that you receive future episodes automatically, and we'll talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.